shit. <laughs> Hello. Hi. And welcome to Murder, She Read, the true crime podcast where we read books, give each other dirty looks, <laughs> like that one, uh, and drink copious amounts of wine. The emphasis tonight is on the copious amounts of wine. Oh yeah, we have double dipped. So, as we promised in the last episode, which we hope you enjoyed, we recorded it two hours ago. Mm-hmm. We took an hour-long break to continue drinking. Yeah, we ate some cheese. Yeah. And uh, here we are back again. Yes. It's not going to be as good, or maybe it'll be better. Who knows? I'm afraid it's going to be the latter, and we're going to have to start recording drunker. Oh, no. Oh, yes. Guys, <laughs> we're pretty drunk. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what do we get into today? Okay, so this week we are again reading a story from the book True Crime Stories by Jack Rosewood. Um, And this week, we are diving into a story called The Brighton Trunk Murders. All right. So we're going across the pond to the UK, to Brighton Beach specifically. It's a beach? It is a beach. It sounds a lot like uh, the Daytona Beach of, yeah, of Great Britain. Oh, so it's not a great beach. No. It's a lesser beach of Great Britain? Correct. Okay. Um, But it did have its heyday... um, in like when <laughs> just whenever uh the like late mid 1800s okay because um, it was called the watering hole yes. of what was it called of brighton it was like the watering the queen's watering hole or i'm making everything no, up you're not you're right it, it, okay. was, it was called the watering hole um so like in the 1830s brighton was booming um it was like the rise of the middle class railroads existed for the first time so people could go to brighton whom otherwise had not been able to travel i have a very loose uh understanding of history well it said this in the book so i wrote it down it sounds good thank you for i don't know me. when railroads <laughs> happened um so, uh, hitherto, people couldn't come to visit on the train, but now they could because they have more of a disposable income, um, ah. and they could spend their gold doing, like, your typical 1800 vacation things? Like, what do you think? I'm imagining murdering some sex workers and just, like, romping about. I said swimming. Tons of cocaine. <laughs> and full long underwear, but that's fine, too. <laughs> oh, yours was less dark. Yes. <laughs> Mine was more nefarious, which is what I imagine all of them are doing. You jumped right in there. No laws is yeah. a fun fact. Yeah, very, very True true. fact. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but life was good in Brighton due to this influx of tourist gold, and people were overall, like, living the life and drinking and partying, um, or as good as the life could be in 1831, because I'm sure you still die at 31. Okay. Um, then what happened? <laughs> so, Celia Bashingford was born in the village of Ardingley, West Sussex, around 1800. You're making all of this up. It says around. <laughs> clearly. Um, she was just four feet tall, and there's a charming note in an online forum that I found uh, to supplement. Reddit? It was not, You know I can't work that. <laughs> um, to supplement the bare bones book that I read last week in this uh, that states that her hands turned outwards like the paws of a mole. All of this sounds made up. But this was not in the book. This is for my bonus research. Okay. Um, but mole hands or not, uh, when she was 20, she met John Holloway and fell deeply in love. 
John was six years her junior, making him 14, but he was also pinto size, is what I wrote. When I meant pint, but perhaps the size of a pinto, <laughs> pinto. bean. <laughs> um, he was clocking in at just over five feet tall. And by all accounts, John was an avid churchgoer until he moved to Brighton, the Daytona of England, and began drinking, committing petty tribes, and womanizing. Sorry, did you say tribes? Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, tribes do go with womanizing. I understand. Also... I'm sorry, what is this? I have no record of anything we're talking about. I got a lot more than you do because I got on the internet. Um, so the You two, did my job? I did both of our jobs this week. Just because this like chapter of the book, I think, was like four pages long, and I was like, well, fuck me. How are we going to turn this into a 40-minute episode? It's going to be 40 minutes of Victoria talking, and I'm just going <coughs> to sit back here and giggle. Well, you get ready. Okay, so the two began a romance, and in 1825, Celia announced she was pregnant. And the two did not get married, which was not kosher in 1830-whatever. And so Celia moved back home to have her child, and she preemptively put John's name on the birth certificate. And authorities, who were very moral-driven at the time, um, went ahead and arrested John and put him in jail because he would not marry Celia. Wait, that was a crime? Yes. We should have more laws like that. No, no one wants him. <laughs> He's five foot nothing. He's a pinto bean, She's apparently. She's four foot tall. She's busy. She's got the hands going both ways. Um, <laughs> this sounds like a bad circus story. So they both moved back to Brighton, where their child was unfortunately stillborn. And John became very bitter and angry, and he was violent towards Celia uh, when he was drunk. And he had multiple affairs, even bringing his mistress, Anne, into their home. And eventually, Anne found out she, too, was pregnant, and John went ahead and married her under another name, because apparently the bookkeeping was not so tight. No, I imagine no one could read or write at this time. <laughs> um, Celia uh, was very industrious, and she found work as a painter, but she was basically destitute. And John was ultimately court-mandated to pay her two shillings a week, a price he could not afford. And instead of fucking figuring something out, he went ahead and had his bonus wife, Anne hide in his home until Celia came around. He lured her over there under the pretense of a reconciliation, um, and the two fucking strangled her and dismembered her small body. Placing, well, that's really rude. Yeah, it's really fucked up. Uh, they placed her head and limbs in a in the communal toilet of, like, the apartment building that what? John lived in. Yeah. That's not how I want to be buried. No, and then he put her additional remains in a trunk that they buried in a shallow grave, like, down the block. Oh, here's where the trunk comes in. Yeah. <clears throat> so. Trunk number one. Yes. Trunk number one, obviously found. Um, not a lot of detail in here about why the cops suspected John, but probably always your shitty husbands. For sure, probably he just like wrote his name on there somewhere. <laughs> he can't spell, Amanda. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I missed that part. Um, you said it. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> um, but so the trunk was found. And, um, and police were pretty quick to decide that John was to blame for Celia's death. Um, and he also confessed really fast and he found guilty and was hung on December 21st and his mistress was tried as an accessory, but as a woman, she was not found guilty. Although the 1800s, but she like the side note that I didn't write down, but what I did read was so 
what John did in this really fucking shitty thing was, like, invited Celia over under the pretense of the fact that the two would, you know, reconnect. And while they were about to smooch, he fucking put a noose around her neck. This feels highly sensationalized, just to be clear. Um, and then started pulling on it, but he was so little, he couldn't really get it. Who's telling this story? The man who wrote this book. Um, oh, <laughs> and, he made it up. Uh, yeah, and so and so then Anne came in and also put her like weight into it, and then they hung her in a closet for a number of weeks or days, whatever, to make sure she was dead. You know, I feel like maybe this writer did as much conjecturing as we do in this podcast. Yeah, but like worse, more macabre, perhaps? Definitely more fucked up than anything we've done. Yeah, we're the angels, thank you. Um, so as Amanda and I talked about last week, actually, this book has like precious little about Celia, uh, nor does the website I used to get some texture for this narrative. Well, that's um, actually better than all of my research, because she's not mentioned. That's true. <laughs> but, I mean, well, we'll talk about it in a minute um, as we go further into the story. Um, but she worked as a painter because it was the only go- job she could get, but she also loved painting. So she wasn't, like, painting houses. She was, like, a figure drawer and, like, a landscape. You can't see Amanda, but she's painting in very broad strokes, which is not surprising. <laughs> She's flipping me off. Um, But she was a very familiar figure around Brighton, and she always, you know, drew everybody who came to visit and all of the landscapes surrounding and the sea always going out. Um, And I tried to find some of her paintings on the internet, but I think they're lost to time. Well, that's unfortunate. It is. It's a bummer. Um, The whole story is a bummer. Um, So that's your first trunk murder. Okay. What's our second? Our second is... Also, should we say now that none of these are connected? (laughs) Yeah, go for it. (laughs) Uh, So while this is a great synopsis, you will find that this is just a bunch of not connected tales. However, all equally interesting. And maybe they all were inspired by one another. A little misleading. I don't think they were inspired. Who knows? It's a misleading uh, thing. Yes. Um, So the second one occurs on May 7th, 1927. Do you have this one? Nope. Okay, cool. Because we're in London this time. Just going to keep playing fake drums. (laughs) Um, So London is notably not Brighton, excuse me, um, but this still fits the bill anyway, as it's eerily similar to Celia's story. And we're only like 50 miles away, but I imagine the 50 miles take... How long in a train? Many. 10 hours. 32? Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so an attendant of the Charing Charing Cross train station in London contacted the police because he smelled something foul coming from the luggage room and was super suspicious that he had stumbled upon something criminal. Amanda, what do you think the police find? I'm going to imagine a body in a trunk. Yes, girl. You're unfortunately right. I'm a bad detective. Uh, <laughs> They discovered a dismembered body in a trunk, limbs wrapped in paper, and a series of clothing, including underwear, labeled P. Halt. I don't like it. So if you were the detective, who's the first person you're going to? Someone named P. Holt? For sure. Uh, The thing I'll jump into before that is that we're not coming off of Jack the Ripper too far before this. It was like 50 years before... Although your lifespan's not that great, um, everybody still remembers him terrorizing London. Okay. So there's like a kerfuffle about this. Um, So police were able to identify the owner of the underpants, as Amanda said they should. Peter Holtz. (laughs) It's a woman. Fine. Um, Penelope Holtz? I don't actually have... Polly? Persephone. 
Let's go with Persephone. Okay. That sounds right. Um, so Persephone Holtz is still alive, but one of her former employees, Minnie Rolls Benati, was missing. Okay. So police made the details of the case public, hoping to get information before the case went cold, which is a good move. And a taxi driver came forward and stated that he had driven a large man with a large trunk to Charing Cross Station on May 6th, which is the day before the body was discovered. And the man who had been in possession of the large trunk was ultimately identified as John Robinson, who was a 36-year-old real estate agent. Busy man. I don't even know what you're selling. Um, but he, Castles? <laughs> just a castle. He has one. He has another. One castle... 14 tiny abodes. There we go. Micro-apartments? No. Oh, different. Okay. Um, But he pretty quickly admitted to the murder, but claimed it was in self-defense. According to Robinson, uh, he stated he met Minnie in Victoria. Uh, Hello. Then he took her back to his office. um, Where she violently attacked him? Right. So, like, the deal is that she is a sex worker, but we don't learn this until later in the narrative, so it was super confusing um, so I assumed that he had propositioned her and she'd acquiesced with the impression that there would be payment at the end of the interaction. Well, that was, you know, the general idea of it. That is how it works. I think that's a agreed upon situation. Services rendered, services paid. Hello. Um, but he claimed that she violently attacked him for no reason, essentially. Unlikely. And he went ahead and hit her in the head with a coal shovel. Like, what sort of real estate agent are you that you have a cool He's carrying shovel? it with him? Maybe. His luggage? It's in his office. Oh. Less explanation I have for it. Yeah, I don't know why he had it. Um, and then he freaked out and dismembered her body and placed her... With the cold shovel? In the trunk, yeah. God, I hate him. Yeah, he's a piece of shit. Uh, but here's the, the good thing. Um... So, Robinson was tried and found guilty of murder and hung on August 12th, 1927, uh, which means that justice was really fucking swift in London in the mid-1900s. Oh, yeah, they didn't take long. No. Um, and the other bummer, as I said last episode... There's is more that, bummers? Well, we don't learn anything about Minnie, like, except that she was a sex worker. There's, right. like, no other information about her. Her ex-husband, like, got on the stand and said she was a drunk. Like, who the fuck cares? He fucking killed her, this, like, weird man. Um, so, you know, it's I just it's problematic all around. Um, so I'm going to kick it to the third one. Maybe this is where I start. Okay, cross your fingers, 1934. 1934! Yes, bitch! <laughs> um, so Brighton Shine had dulled, primarily due to the Great Depression, so people don't have a bunch of extra cash to burn on a beach vacay. Hello, me. Um... So, on June 17th of the same year, a train station worker found a trunk at the train station that emitted a truly foul odor. I'm sorry, but what's June 17th? It's your goddamn birthday. This is a couple years before I was born. (laughs) How old are you turning this year? 22? 78. Bad at math. Very bad me as well. Um, So, the transit worker contacted the police who responded and found the torso, head, and legs of a woman. Oh, I've got something a little different. Play it on me. So I I got that he found just the torso Mm. of a 25-year-old woman. Obviously, they find out she was 25 later. Or they guess it. 
I am also 25. Yes. Don't take this all about me, but it should be. It should 100%. I'm not involved. Um, the woman's legs were later discovered in a suitcase at London's King Cross, and the head and arms were never located. Interesting. I just heard her other body bits were at that other station, but who cares? Lost to the sounds of time. Most of the things that identify her, not there. So okay. we have torso, legs, and arms. No, arms not discovered. Just torso and legs. Okay. I shouldn't sound so excited when I say that. It's not good. <laughs> It's actually pretty fucking horrible. So, do you have what the press dubs her? I do, but let me jump in there for a second. Okay. Um, so, unlike in Minnie's case, whom we just discussed, there was nothing to go on in terms of identification in the trunk. No, not one bit. Um, there was just actually a piece of paper that said Ford, but... Uh, the Jane Doe subsequently became known as... Pretty Feet. The girl... Which is, like, the yeah. worst... I uh, I can't. I don't want to, and I cannot. Yeah, they started calling her the girl with the pretty feet. It's They say that she has the legs and the feet of a dancer, which I'm sure is a compliment, but to me is just disturbing. Yeah, it's fucking weird. Stop it. Stop sexualizing the amputated legs. Yeah, it's yeah. bad. It's all bad. Um, so no one came forward to claim the girl with the pretty feet. And police decided that she could possibly have been employed as a sex worker. Um, Why'd they decide that? I don't know, because it's the fucking... Do you have that she was five months pregnant? No. Oh, shit. Really? So... Wait, where was her torso? With the legs? The torso was the first thing they found. Oh, okay. (laughs) Guys, we're prepared. So, turns out she was five months pregnant at the time of her death. This leads the police to a local abortionist named Messiah. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, No arrest is ever made because it turns out that there's no interference with the fetus. Correct. What I will say, um, this man was incredibly well-connected. And shortly after the discovery of her body, he moved back to London um, I mean, he was a good guy. And he was later uh, charged with the death of another young woman for an abortion gone wrong, but it was also 1930. Who knows? Yeah, what but... What medical practices look like at that point. Maybe he... Who knows? Yeah. Nothing there was, good. There was just, like, one detective who got, like, really on his case and was encouraged to leave it alone because this guy was well-connected. Um, but regardless, nobody comes forward to claim the girl... But um, also, so she was butchered, but not very well. Right. And so that's why they also didn't think it was the doctor. And that's, so like, all that I know is that officers went to brothels and red light districts and tried to do a pretty decent job of tracking this woman down whom they had assumed was a sex worker. They never identify the victim. They never identify the killer. However, they do find something else in the search. Tell me. What was it? I don't know. It's the next body. Oh, I'm not there yet. Let me stop you. Oh, God. You Um, have more? Yeah. Um, Well, mostly because I wanted to find out more about this case because, as I said last week, this book is like the bare bones of an outline. Um, I need to know what research you did because everything I read... Don't look over here. It's none of your business. I can get there in a second. I can barely read. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying the research that I looked up, I couldn't find shit about shit. Well, so I was assuming there was like conjecture somewhere or like, you know how people like to get buck on the internet. So what I did, Amanda... Did you do that Reddit dive? No. Damn it. Here's what I did. I googled the girl with the pretty feet. And here is what happened to me a couple of nights ago. Here's what I've got. That's the one thing I wouldn't Google. 
60 top pretty feet girls. Pretty oh. girls with pretty feet from Pornhub. See, Did you watch any of those? No. Okay. Seek feet, sexy and beautiful girls' feet pictures. So Seven, you've found us a bunch of foot fetishes. Yeah, let me see. I got two more. 737 best pretty feet images in 2019. 737 so far this year? Yeah, just like an airplane, a 737. And then anyway, 329 best pretty toes images, 2019. I'm going to throw up right in your mouth. People are busy on the internet. I hate the internet and I hate people. Yeah, I googled that and now I'm on a fucking list. Okay, so I thought that you were going to actually come to me with some information that I didn't find. I was going to be very upset because I looked really hard for information on this case and couldn't find any. No, I mean... But also, that is better and disturbing and I think I hate you now. I mean, love what you love. Go ahead. (laughs) Stop Googling it. I'm not in defeat. Put a private filter on it. Well, I can't use the internet. <laughs> Not you, the oh, whole what? world. Yes. No, the rest of the people that are doing it for masturbation purposes. Um, once I went on a date in Austin, Texas with a guy with a foot fetish. I need to know more about it, but probably not right now. Maybe right now. He was also a cop. Here's my wrap-up for this. This is another situation in which um, we don't get any clarity on what had happened. And unfortunately, given the time... There was no other way to identify the body. Oh, yeah. We're in full depression mode. Yeah. No one gives a shit about anything. Um, no so one can help. The girl with the pretty feet is lost to the sands of time, unfortunately. Um, but what I do have is one less Brighton trunk murder. Do you have it, too? This is my favorite Good. one. This is where I think you have way more information than I. Maybe. So. Maybe not. Okay. Let's kick it. Um, so Violet K, also known as Violet Saunders, was a sex worker in the Brighton area, and she was dating a 26-year-old man known as Tony Mancini, although his legal name is fucking Cecil England, that big fucking nerd. Cecil England? Cecil England. Okay, so she, first off, she meets him in London. Oh. Where... She is a dancer and a sex worker, okay. and he's a petty thief and a bouncer. Mm-hmm. So they meet in London, and they move to Brighton together. together. Oh, interesting. Okay. They full-fledged their relationship, dropped dead. Okay. Also, the only reason that this was ever found was because they were looking for clues for that last murder. Right. Yeah. I know yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. So as Amanda said, uh, I guess in London, and then also in Brighton, he worked as a bartender and a bouncer. And, and he- like sometimes at a cafe. Oh. I think he made him a waiter. Who knows? Shallow, a barista. Fucking Tony Mancini. Um, but he was known to police around town as a local criminal. Piece of shit? Yeah. And he was like a thug who did dirty work for others. He looks like a full-blown child. Yeah, but like a full-grown, blown child. He looks like a child with some gaunt eyes. <laughs> Um, but he was known to be a general piece of shit who was abusive to the women who dated him. Um, however, Violet, who was his senior by like 20 years. A lot of years. But she wasn't taking shit from him. Um, she stood up to him a lot and she fought back physically. Where other women had, you know, left or just, you know, and she, she would fight back. Um, at the time of her death. I'm not saying anything about their relationship was healthy. No, no, but... Regardless, At the time of her death, she was, as I said, 20 years older than Mancini, and the pair were known to drink a lot together, mostly of wine, Amanda. 
Um, and they fought both verbally and physically. So on May 10th, the pair were drinking heavily at the Skylark Cafe where Mancini worked. And Violet accused Mancini of stepping out on her with a young waitress named Elizabeth. Yeah, they got in a huge fight. Yes. Very public fight. Yes, they were seen, like, pushing each other in public before they left. And then went the next day, suddenly, he was like, oh, she went to Paris. Yes. (laughs) And he gave away all her shit. Yeah, uh, he was acting like the biggest dummy. He gave Violet's possessions to Elizabeth, the young woman. Oh. Whom she had assumed, whom, excuse me, Violet had assumed he was having an affair with. Um, and told Violet's friends and family that she had up and moved to Paris. And Violet's sister even received a telegraph that was uh-huh. allegedly sent from her sister in Paris. But it was fucking postmarked from Brighton, you fucking moron. He's not a smart man. Mm-mm. He's a big dummy. Dumb, dumb, dumb. So shortly after her disappearance, Mancini rents a place near the train station. Oh, I do know how the police found him. So amongst his belongings is a large trunk draped in a cloth that sat at the foot of his bed. It functioned as a coffee table, and according to his friends, it leaked a revolting ooze and reeked of death. Who are your friends? No one reports (laughs) it because it's 1934, and who fucking cares? I think they might have... Well, he was arrested, but he pled not guilty. He claimed that he found her body. And he hid it over concerns that no one would believe him. But I guess people did because he was found not guilty, again, because it's 1934? Yeah, and here's the other fucking problem, which is such bullshit. So he went on trial in 1934 and was found innocent of Violet's death due to the fact that his lawyer posited that one of her clients, because she was a sex worker, was the fucking perpetrator of her death. Yeah. As if, if I found your body on the side of the road, Amanda... You might at some point. <laughs> and then I was like, well, fuck. You know what I should do? Put her in the trunk. I've got a... You got that bucket right there. Well, that's a laundry basket, thank you. But Ugh. this is a dresser. <laughs> Just put my body in the dresser in yeah. case anyone thought that you did it. Yeah, and... No, it's, it's a very weak alibi. But he got off on it. Um, and Somehow. But, however... I mean, we've talked about how he's not smart... Um, on his deathbed, Mancini admitted to Violet's murder, although okay. he claimed it was self-defense. I have in 1976, for some reason, he was being interviewed by the News of the World, which is the name of a newspaper that was apparently very popular up until very recently. He changes a story saying that during a fight over infidelity, Kay attacked him with a hammer. He was able to wrestle it away from him, so he threw it back at her, and the hammer struck her in the head killing her instantly like a cartoon yeah it's like a woody the woodpecker scenario yeah i mean that's what i got oh i have more okay so a play called trunks written by brighton playwright (laughs) i'm sorry is that what you were expecting (laughs) go on so a play called trunks written by brighton playwright stephen place but with an eye in the middle yeah yeah for whatever reason, he tells the story of Tony's doomed relationship with Violet during the 30s recession. Other characters include Tony's girlfriend, Flo, and the jazz girl, who both gave evidence at his trial. Maybe accurately? <laughs> I would say that Flo is probably what they called your period in 1938. They both gave evidence at his trial, and the play also included one of V's clients named Hoppy. 
Poppy. The play attempts an imaginary recreation of the second trunk murder, the killing of Pretty Feet by a man who we all know was never found. This dramatized version of the falsely intertwined murders appeared in the 1993, oh, appeared in 1993 at the Hoth Theater in Crowley before transferring to... It got more than one run? Battersea Arts Center, and then to the studio at the Lyric Theater Hammersmith. All of those are actual things. So I guess it was a good play? Yeah, no, they're all actual things. It ran for a while. The second murder of Violet does play out like a really fucked up 1930s comedy, is my final note. Like a deranged Lucille Ball situation. I don't feel great about that. This is the second one... Um, that, that no one likes? Well, this, no, this is the second one that we've talked about that had a, has had a play inspired about it after... Oh, it was the other Raina one. Yeah, the, about the, the Viper sisters. Yeah, well, everyone loves to take a 1930s situation, which I think that was at the same time. Well, here's another problematic thing. It sounds like the nice thing that you can do, even if it's up front, if it's not that close to you, you can fucking sensationalize it and turn it into something. Um, it's just a bummer. Like, uh, the information that was in this book was super bare bones, and then I tried to do additional dives... Um, Okay, I'm going to do differently than I did last week. Okay. Because this is so far back. But, so, like, here's the thing, right? But, like, I found information about Celia, who was our first one, who was 1831. That's true. Um, But do we have any sort of, like, I don't know. I think everything on the internet's a lie. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, like, nothing's peer-reviewed. Like, it's not... Uh, validated by any means, but, like, there was information about Celia a little bit, even if it was, like, fucking rude and offensive, but there's also, like, a bunch of stuff about her art. There's some, um, like, sketch line drawings of her from the time period. Um, But then when we hit, um, obviously, the girl with the pretty feet, um, and even Minnie Bonatti, there's nothing about her. Um, And I, I understand that, like, it was a long time ago, but you would think... That there were still records, and if nothing else, like the other thing I think of doing too much wine thinking. Um, you have been doing a lot of wine thinking. I, well, I mean, because I keep reading these books, and even if we're talking about something from like eighteen hundred, which we did when we talked about the um, Lady Killers book, right? That was so great. Yes. Um, the author of that, Tori Telford, did a lot to illuminate the victims, and also like the time frame, and like give a more of a cultural context around what was happening yeah and i think that even if you know I, I guess my point was going to be that obviously given last week's last lack of a characterization of the victim that is something that all these people are still alive mm-hmm. that's very easily done yes this is a little bit more difficult especially if we're connecting these things in 93 yeah well, I just, but i do think that you are right as far as the story goes is even just some cultural context makes it but i also like you can digitize everything now right so like i know that whatever newspaper what was it the one you brought up the daily oh the the world news but like they've been around until recently yeah it wasn't that long ago they stopped being a thing so like you can digitize that they have all of that in archives i've worked for a newspaper before like you just need to digitize it i'm sure that there's information in there that hasn't been archived on the internet yet. 
Um, and I don't know whose task that is, bless whatever intern has to do that shit. Yeah, no, you're probably right. So, I don't know. The Can we fix is, everything? Yeah, I'm going to digitize the internet. Excuse me. First, could you open okay. that door? It's the closet. Let me see what's in there. <laughs> We're going to need... Um, do you think our listeners can stand a three to seven year break? <laughs> no. Okay, so what are you rating this book? I'm going to rate this book a two out of five. Every time I do more reading in it, it drops a point, so let's not do another one. So we won't do another one? Yeah. Okay. Um, not enough detail, not enough focus on the victim. Yeah. Yeah. Missing, missing big pieces. Missing everything. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, are you ready to close it? I am ready to slam it. You want to slam it? Yeah. You want to slam it? Yeah. Do you want to slam your wine? No, we're not going to slam our wines right now. We'll do it after we're done. Thank you. All right, guys. Well, (laughs) Victoria slammed over her water. And we're going to tell you, as we always do, follow us on Murder, She Red Pod on Instagram. Yeah. And you <laughs> I can... forgot where we were. <laughs> and you can email Amanda at MurderSheRedPod at gmail.com. And maybe by the time this is released, we'll have a Twitter? Seems unlikely. Well, join us next week where we will not be as drunk as we are right now. Good night. Good night.